We have a number of visitors today. We're glad that you're here. We're looking at the book of Romans. Uh, This morning, we are looking at Romans 8. Uh, And Paul is really addressing believers at this point. And uh, Romans 8 is meant to be an encouragement for believers, but it's also, if you read it, it's a clear demarcation between those who profess Christ, okay, and those who are possessed by Christ. This is a very important subject uh, because we all have to ask ourselves that question. Am I finding my security in the reality of what it means to be united to Christ? In light of that, I was thinking of uh, a a quote by Flannery O'Connor, the southern writer who was actually a Roman Catholic in Milledgeville living among Protestants. And her observation of many Protestants is what she called uh, Jesus haunting the South. Does he haunt you? Or is he one who is your friend, one that you know? It's a huge difference. And we're going to see that in our text. So this is God's word. If you're visiting and you're not a believer, maybe you're a seeker. We have many of those every Sunday. We believe this is the very word of God that is the history of mankind. And it's not religious truth. It's true truth. And it stands on its own. So if you would open with me uh, to Romans 8. It's printed here in your bulletin. We're going to read five verses. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God... Are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word and for your kingdom. We're thankful for the good report that Justin gave us and what you are doing not only in Romania, but what you are doing in his own life, a man who's known you for quite some time. A man who's a minister of the gospel and yet, like this minister, needs to constantly see how to apply the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, to my own life, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to not walk in the flesh, to not grieve the Holy Spirit, nor quench the Holy Spirit, but grow in Christ as the Holy Spirit points us to him. Father, I would pray for any who are here today 
that make profession but do not possess Christ. Lord, that you would speak to them by their spirit and cause them to repent of their sin and by faith look to Christ. And Father, for those who know you, whose faith is weak, who need to be assured of the security that they have in Jesus Christ, Father, would you speak to their hearts. Father, we thank you for Jesus and all that he has accomplished and that he's coming again one day to judge the heavens and the earth. Father, might we be found in him. And we ask it in your name and for your sake. Amen. If you are an Atlanta Braves fan, you're frustrated this weekend. And the reason you're frustrated is because uh, Friday night, Saturday afternoon, the Braves are up by two, eighth inning, and it uh, looks like we're going to win the game. Put in a, a relief pitcher uh, who gets rocked. And, uh, and so they lose in the end. And, uh, and I, you know, I'm, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not so frustrated. I didn't want to preach today. Okay, it's not like that. But if you're a fan, it's frustrating. But it's not near as frustrating to me as it probably is to that relief pitcher who up to this point since last year, he's been lights out, throws a 96, 97 mile an hour fastball, can throw a change up, has a big hook on his curb, never know what's coming at you. Well, the guys have been hitting him lately. And so I'm wondering uh, what is happening to his confidence. I wonder if he's going this tailspin is going to continue uh, to, to cause him to lose his confidence. Now, the reason I, I think about this as a, uh, someone who's coached and someone who's played ball uh, very poorly, uh, I've seen this happen to great athletes, many golfers who were at one point the next Jack Nicklaus or, uh, or whoever, uh, Ben Hogan, and th- th- they're a flash, and then all of a sudden they have a bad tournament, and they never are the same. And, and they lose their, their confidence, and actually their future is over with as an athlete. But how does that happen? Well, the reason it happens to athletes is because their confidence is based on their performance. It's what they do. It's what they accomplish. To put it another way, uh, they build their, their security and make certain their future based on their performance. And I'll tell you what I've noticed is sometimes the most capable people who are entertainers, who are athletes, who really never fail, they're actually under bondage to their own success. There is no security because they always have to perform. Now, guys, I'm going to tell you this is exactly what our text is about. Our text is about security. And it's about confidence. And it's about a certain hope and a certain future. But it is not based on how we go about confidence. And how we go about uh, finding some security. Because it is based on God's performance. It is based on what He has done. And if you're a Christian, you've heard this many times. If you're a Redeemer, you're here all the time. 
But as we look at our text, just briefly, in verse, verse 14, he's, Paul puts it this way. You're, if you're led by the Spirit of God, you're the sons of God. And then in verse 15, he says, listen, if you're a believer, you, you, you no longer are under fear. Don't fall back under fear. But you have a freedom to cry out to God as Father. And then in verse 16, he says, hey, listen, you're not there yet. But you, you have, the, you have the, the witness of the Holy Spirit that you're the sons of God. And then finally he says, and by the way, you're just are getting a little taste now of what is coming. A deposit guaranteeing an inheritance uh, to come. Now here's what I want to ask you. Very important question. And I, I like to ask everybody here, do you have that confidence about your eternal state? If you were to die this afternoon, and it does happen, and you were to stand before the living God, a person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, do you know without a doubt that you have eternal life? Do you have security? Do you have confidence? Because you understand the gospel. How'd you answer that question? I know people have been in church all their lives and they don't have that confidence. I know people who've grown up Presbyterian and heard about the five points of Calvinism. Believe God's sovereign. Been baptized. They don't have that confidence. But let me ask you this, and I want you to think about it. Let's use logic here for a minute, even if you're not a believer today. Doesn't it make sense to you that if God gives eternal life and he sent his son to be crucified on our behalf to come in space, time, and history, doesn't it make sense that he would want you to know this God and that you have eternal life? In 1 John, uh, <clears throat> there was a teaching that was going about that said uh, Jesus didn't really, he wasn't really in the flesh. He wasn't really a human being because human beings are nasty. Human beings are the flesh, so he only appeared to be here. And so the apostles were constantly having to go uh, fight against this heresy called Gnosticism. And so when you open up 1 John, uh, John says this. He said, that which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, that which we've seen with our eyes, that which we've looked at, uh, held with our hands and have touched, we proclaim to you concerning the word of life, the life appeared and, has, and, and we have seen it and we testify it to it and we proclaim it to you which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim this to you so that our joy might be complete. We write this to you. For that reason. And then in John chapter 5. So, so in other words he said. Listen. Don't tell me that Jesus didn't exist. Don't tell me he wasn't a human being. Don't tell me that God was not in the flesh. We've beheld him. We've seen him. We've touched him. We looked at, at that last week in Luke chapter 28. On the resurrection where he's eating fish to prove that he wasn't a ghost. But John tells us these things at the end of, of, of 1 John 5. He says, we write these things so that you might know you have eternal life. 
So doesn't it make sense that God would want you to know that? So what I want to address today is the security of the believer that comes through the relationship with Christ through the person of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I know you know about Jesus, but do, but, but do you have a relationship with Him through the person of the Holy Spirit? Now, I, I know some of y'all don't like me to recapitulate, but for, for y'all who are here for the first time, l- let, let me put this passage in context, and then I'll give you the points. We'll preach it, and we'll come to supper. Here's what Paul has been saying in the book of Romans. If you're here and you're not a Christian and you want to find out about Christianity, read Romans. It is the apologetic of the Christian faith. Chapters 1 through uh, 4, Paul is, is laying a case why nobody can be justified by God of any nation because there's none righteous. He says Jews had the law, but you, they broke the law. And uh, the, the thing that they thought would bring them to Christ, I mean bring them to heaven, was actually a tool to bring them to Christ. So he says, people who have the law, they're guilty. People who don't have the law, they have their own conscience. They know they're guilty. And so he says, he lays the case that there's none righteous, no, not one. There's nobody in the world who seeks after God. Not one, unless God seeks them. And God begins that seeking by sending his son, as he says in chapter 3, but now there is a righteousness from God. And friends, let me tell you, everybody in here needs a perfect righteousness. You need perfection to go to heaven because of who God is. But God resolves His dilemma and our dilemma in the person of Christ. For He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That's what 1 through through 4 is, that God has provided the only means of salvation, which is through Jesus Christ. Now, what we've been looking at in the last couple of months is beginning with chapter 5 through 8. So we're in 8. He begins in chapter 5. He begins to address the implications to you who profess Christ. What are the implications? Well, chapter 5, he begins, he says, you're at peace with God now. In chapter 5, he says, you're at peace with God because you're no longer at war with Him because you're no longer in Adam. You're in Christ. When He died, you died with Him. And so you're at peace, and therefore you have access to God. You can know God as your Father. Uh, you don't have to be a law keeper because nobody can keep the law. Christ has kept the law. Within well, the question came up by those who are Jews, and those who spent their whole life being under the old covenant, which was the law, the Mosaic law. Well, what point is the law? So why did God give Ten Commandments? And he answers that. And he says the reason God gave Ten Commandments is so that sin might become exceedingly sinful. So that you might be driven into the dust because the law reveals your sin. Now think about that for a minute. How many of you have really been confronted with the law of God in such a way that there is no hope? Well, that's good news. On the other hand, if you're going, I don't know if I believe in this Jesus stuff, and I don't know, you know, I don't know if I believe in Christianity. My question to you then is, what are you going to do about your sin? What are you going to do about your guilt? And so then he goes on to say, uh, but you know, you as Christians are no longer married to the law. You're married to Christ. The law has no, no, nothing to do with you anymore because Christ took 
our place. He was crucified under the law. And so now he comes to Romans uh, chapter 8, and, and, and this is so important, and then we, then we move on. He says this. Now I want to show you the difference between those who are under the law and those who are in the Spirit. Because you see, to be under the law is to be miserable. Because the law is constantly pointing out to you that you're not what you should be. But to be in the Spirit is to know that you're united to Him who has already done the work. And so now the question ends up being, well then do we have any obligation? And the answer to that is, are you kidding me? Any obligation? If you were a wife and you were married to somebody who was this harsh taskmaster, who was always demanding, and the only thing that you could do was what was right, and then not get complimented for it because you're only doing your duty, and then every time you did something wrong, he says, honey, you you, you didn't do that right. And then he dies, and you go, you go in the morning, I guess, for about two days. But, and, and then you meet another. You meet, you meet a, a man who loves you no matter what and who takes care of everything. And it doesn't matter what you do as a wife. He's going to love you. Now, unless you're a hardened, depraved person, would not that be a completely different relationship a relationship that is motivated not out of fear but out of absolute love. This is exactly what he's saying. Is the difference between professors of Christianity and those who are possessed by Christ, those who are married to Christ. And it's very important that you ask yourself that question. Am I born of God? So... What are the three things? I mean, well, actually, there are four things to see. And I'm going to be brief on each point. And that is this. How does the Holy Spirit bring this assurance and security? That's what we're talking about. Number one, we're going to say he regenerates Christians. He, in other words, that word born again. And then when he does, he leads us to freedom that's in Christ. And I know you hear us talk a lot about freedom, but so does the Scriptures. And then he is a witness. The Holy Spirit is a witness that we belong to Christ. And far be it that that freaks you out, that you go, absolutely, thank God the Holy Spirit that he bears witness to my salvation. And then finally, he assures us that we have a future hope in Christ. So what's the first way you get assured that you're a believer? Number one, the Holy Spirit, his job is to convert you you don't become a Christian by believing the correct things. Because believing the correct things will never change you. Because you're dead. Notice what he says in verses 12 through 14. So then, brothers, we're debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You know, Paul is trying to answer more fully, again, this question about what is the motive? I mean, if you're a Christian, then Christ already finished the work. What is the motive of of, of, uh, doing anything right? Paul's answer to that is this. 
The reason your motive is changed is because your nature is changed. You move from being a good Southern Baptist who's tired of all the rules and hearing about Jesus or the Roman Catholic who is tired of the systems that the church has set up which you'll never hear teaching in the Catholic Church about being born of the Spirit. Because Roman Catholic... And I'm not knocking it. I'm just, I'm just laying it out there. Roman Catholic teaching about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is bound to the sacraments. And salvation is through the church as grace is given and ministered by the church. Not Christ. And then uh, there, there are those who are Presbyterians. Presbyterians who believe that God has an elect, who believe in the five points of Calvinism, who believe in the third use of the law. But have you ever met Presbyterians that aren't happy? I have. I mean, a lot of Presbyterians who, who, are, who are knowledgeable, but I wouldn't want to go on a trip with them. I'd be afraid of what I might do in Romania and Bulgaria. And I'm thankful for my tradition because in our tradition it's very important to be holy, godly people. But sometimes, and I hear it here, and I've heard it in our own church, that people focus on the third use of the law, which is now that you're a Christian, you can keep the law. And we leave out the Holy Spirit. What Paul is saying here is the only way that you'll make a Catholic or a Baptist or a Presbyterian or Methodist or anybody else or a non-Christian the only way that they will ever understand the gospel of Jesus Christ is if they are born again. You're baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ, not just baptized with water into the visible church. What does that look like? Well, here's kind of what it looks like. And um, I heard it put this way. There's different forms of life, right? Uh, if you're a rock, then rocks don't know that the sun's out, right? It's not going, wow, it's very warm today. I think I'll bend toward the light. They're rocks. But then there's a higher form of life called plants, right? And, and plants, uh, and I, I've been doing some gardening and putting stuff out, and you want to make sure you put your plants where the, the photosynthesis, right, the light. And the, the plants go, oh, I like the light. I mean, they're not thinking that, right? They're just responding, but they're not rocks. But then there, there, there's insects, and there's a little bit higher form of life, so that, you know, when you, when you go fishing and you're looking for that worm, he's like, whoa, and he tries to get away. So, but, so he's, not, he's got a little bit more going on than a plant. And then, then you have animals, right? You have animals, and you think, well, you would never stomp on your dog, Right? If you see a, a oh, there's a roach, bam, you, you step on it. But you wouldn't ever do that to Mandy, my dog. Yeah, you because know, it's got a little bit higher form of life. But then, but you know, you don't take dogs to court for biting other dogs. They're dogs. But then you have human beings, and, and I want to address you who are not Christians today. What we believe as Christians is that the reason you're glorious is because you're creating the image of God. That's what the Bible teaches. And you have a conscience. 
Some of the most wonderful people I know are non-Christians. They give more than Christians ever gave. They make sacrifices. Their, their conscience is much more wounded about hurting their wives than ever there was a Christian husband who would ever repent to his wife that I've been cruel and harsh, would you forgive me? Right? And so, but, okay, so there's a plane called being a human being. That's my, and you, you do. If a human being kills another human being, you know, you don't go take him to the vet and put him to sleep. You bring him before a court of justice because that's not what we do as human beings. No matter what nation you're from. But my friends, a lot of people don't understand this. That you can be a person who professes to know Christ, but you're not in the realm of that last realm. Which is you've met God. You're dead in your sin. Hath he made alive. So that's the first thing he does. And you know what? I don't meet too many people that have been born again. I'm not saying they don't have doubts, but they're alive unto God. This is the Spirit. But not only does He make us alive, notice also in uh, verse 15 that He leads us to freedom. That's what He says. For you didn't receive the spirit of slavery, to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You see, now you're born again, you get it. You understand that Christ is my Redeemer. He is my Savior. He is my older brother who has died on my behalf and given me an inheritance. And now I don't have to live in fear how many of you live in fear? I don't know if my business is going to make it. You live in fear about your children. What if this happens to them? What if that happens to them? Or you live in fear of God. And, 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 and rather than being free to struggle, free in Christ to struggle with your sin, you're struggling to find freedom. And that's all the difference between those who profess Christ and those who are possessed by Christ. The parallel book to Romans is much shorter. So if you want to read Galatians instead of Romans, uh, it's Galatians. And Paul is absolutely blown away that after he has preached the absolute freedom in Jesus Christ, that there were those who were coming back teaching something other than that. And you get a lot of that in the South. Oh, yes, Jesus Christ died. Oh, absolutely. But you better not be too free. You better, hey, listen, you need to go at least five weeks if you've done X before God will show favor to you again. Or you set up all these rules, these man-made rules. And so Paul is dealing with that, and he dealt with it with Peter. Peter was moving away from Gentile Christians. You know why? Because he didn't have the freedom that he, he was free in Christ, but he was losing that freedom. And listen to what Paul says. Now, again, I'm, I'm addressing you this morning who are not sure if you're Christians or not. Because isn't, wouldn't it be important to know that you have eternal life, that you can know God, that you have a relationship with Him? And Paul wants to bring assurance by, by you saying, oh, of course, I agree with this. 
But notice what Paul says in Galatians. You foolish Galatians. He might say, you foolish people at Redeemer. You foolish people at, at Beach Haven Baptist. You foolish people at the Catholic Church. Wherever it may be. You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you before your very eyes? Jesus Christ was clearly laid up on a billboard. Is what the word means in the Greek. He's been portrayed to you. All, all these billboards, like when you go to Atlanta, and I hate those billboards, you know, it says repent or whatever. They don't give you anything else, but Christ is crucified. You're free. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? And if you're a moralist, if you're always upset that other people don't do right, if you're a gossip, and you never have any joy, and your husband or wife never experiences it from you, and your children never experience it from you, or if you're a child and profess to know Christ, but you never bring joy to your parents, you always buck against them, then how can the Spirit of God dwell in you? It's a question to ask. Now, does, does that mean that I'm always, oh, hey, Mary Beth, how are you? How was your day today? Now, I'm not that way. Okay, I still do what Paul says, and you must do in, in Romans 14. He says, those who are alive unto God put sin to death. And why do you want to do that? Because you love Jesus. What does he say that the law brings? The law brings slavery. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous. Why, why are we righteous? You know why? Because you've been united to Christ. In his resurrection by the saving grace of the Holy Spirit. And God wants you to be free. Do you understand that? You're not under the, 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 the fear of slavery. Um, you know, I got in trouble several years ago when I said, if you're, I'll put it another way so I don't get in trouble again. Well, actually, it was, I didn't mind, I, I calculated it. I'm not going to say it today, but I'll say it a different way. <laughs> if you are not free to stumble, how about that? If you're not free to mess up, then you're not free. But believer in Jesus, you're free to stumble. Matter of fact, every time you breathe, you stumble. Because Jesus loved God with all his heart, soul, and mind. He loved his neighbor himself. He would love your wife and your husband a whole heck of a lot better than you would. With a whole lot more going on against him. You see... We don't have to, to be under fear that we're, oh, oh man, I'm so busy trying to establish my own righteousness. I don't have time to love other people who need love. I don't have time to minister in Athens, Georgia. I don't have time to give my money away. I can't give my money away. I can't do that. You know why? Because I'm not sure if God will bless me or whatever it may be. Does that make sense? <laughs> so that's the second thing to see. 
is that the Holy Spirit is to bring us freedom. You say, well, how do I see that freedom? He gives you the, the, the spirit of adoption. And let me tell you what would blow most people away at the time that this was said. He says that we're able to do what Jesus did, cry, Abba, Father. Jews did not call God Father. They didn't even say his name. Why? Because they had so perverted the understanding of the law that they were so afraid to break it, to take the Lord's name in vain, that they would not even say his name. And here Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, comes. And he, he calls God Father. Our Father who art in heaven. But not only does he call him Father, he calls him Abba which, and I studied this out, I looked it out, you probably heard it. It literally means to say, Daddy. So Jesus is in the garden, remember, wrestling before he's wanting the cup to pass from him. He doesn't want, he, he, he's thinking, Father, is there another way for these people at Redeemer to be saved? Is there another way for the people around the world to be saved? And there's no other way. But in, in the process of that, he cries out, Daddy, Father, Abba, Father, let this cup pass from me. You know, the only time Jesus didn't use the name Father and the only time he used the name God was when he was being forsaken on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that moment he gave up the Father so we could gain the Father. And so we could call him Father. I come in this sanctuary sometimes and I don't know what's going on. I, mean, I walk in, down my office is upstairs, I come in and we go in the restroom and stuff. And I come sit in on a chair. And I don't know what's going on with some of y'all. And I go, Lord, I don't know, I don't know if they're saved. I, I, don't know, I, I don't know how we're going to pay the bills. I, how are we going to do this? And, and, and I say, Father in heaven. I haven't called him daddy yet. Maybe I need to do that according to this thing. So, so the Holy Spirit gives us freedom to say, Daddy. Two last things. He's, he, he's a witness that we belong to Christ. That's what he says in verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Do you know if you're saved or not? Well, does the Holy Spirit convince you that you're saved? In the Old Testament, you had to have two witnesses before you could accuse somebody. I think Paul's referring to that. That sometimes subjectively you're going, man, I'm not what I ought to be. If I were a Christian, I wouldn't be as mean as I am. <laughs> you ever done that? If I were a Christian, I wouldn't do acts. But then the Holy Spirit is a witness. He bears witness. Oh, yes, you are. Now, don't be like that. We talk a lot here at Redeemer that uh, you, you have to have the indicatives before the imperatives. You see, you have to... You, you, Jesus doesn't say, be light of the world. He says, you're the light of the world. You, you, but through the Holy Spirit, you have the Spirit. And therefore, you can keep the imperatives. And the way that you grow in this, here's how, another way, practically speaking. Okay, how does he bear witness to you? Do you read your Bible? If you don't read your Bible, why do you think you're a Christian? Seriously. I mean, I know you know what's in it. Is he, is he the Savior or is he my Savior? I'll tell you how you know he's my Savior. You read the Bible. And you pray. You talk to God. And the more you begin to understand the grace of God in Jesus Christ and you're free, the more I'm telling you, the more you're, you're going to go, oh, Holy Spirit, uh, thank you that uh, you are at work in my life. Thank you that you point me to the Father. 
And then he says, sometimes you groan. We'll look at this later. Sometimes you don't know what to pray. You're like, man, I'm so messed up. I have no idea what's going on in me. But you know the Holy Spirit has united you to God and made you part of the family. If you're not, I mean, do you like being with other Christians or do you just like going out drinking with other Christians? I understand that continues to be an issue among younger Christians. Do you want people to identify you as one who knows Jesus and you can drink and then you knock it back and you're... you're well, the Bible says no drunkard shall enter the kingdom of God. And we see that. Well, there's more and more Christian liberties that are going out there, not just with Presbyterians, but with Baptists and with Acts 29 people. You see, the witness, the Holy Spirit, witnesses with your spirit, that if he wants everybody to know Jesus, so do you. You want people to know Jesus, the people you work with. Does that matter to you? Then I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm not saying you're not a Christian, but it sure means you're insecure. It sure means that God is not your glory. You're performing for somebody. And then, and then one last thing. Uh, so he regenerates us. He leads us to freedom, to cry of a father. He bears witness. But here's the last thing, and I, I want to end on this. He assures us that we have a future hope in Christ. Notice what he says. The Spirit himself bears witness uh, that we're the children of God. And if children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Listen. What is the security that we have? Well, we have a deposit guaranteeing an inheritance to come. What he is saying is here, and he's going to launch off into suffering at the end of Romans 8, okay? He's saying, listen, by the way, this doesn't mean that you're not going to suffer in this life. The inheritance is to come. And so you're willing to put things off because you, and willing to suffer for Christ rather than just go, well, I don't like this. This is not good. Why is this happening in my life? No, I'm telling you that some of the way the only people are going to believe is if you suffer for Christ. But he said, I guarantee you this, you still have the Holy Spirit, you still have the assurance that I'm yours no matter what happens in your life, but trust me, soon there will be a feast. Soon you'll be complete in heaven. And so you're willing to suffer. Do you know Jesus Christ? Are you, are you finding the joy of walking in the Spirit? You know, I don't believe in the second baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've studied it, and I know the people that disagree with me about this. But I believe that you're baptized by the Holy Spirit and you become alive. And then you daily eat and drink the Word of God in fellowship with other believers. And if there's not growing a growing sense of the presence of God and the anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life, are you really a Christian? I close by saying this. I, I, I'm here. I, I want there to be assured. I'm, I want you to be assured. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit can assure you. But I close by saying this, and I've said it before. A glance by faith to Christ will bring you to heaven. No doubt about it. Because that's the Holy Spirit. But a gaze at heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit, will bring heaven to earth. 
Is the providence of God real to you? The reign of Christ real to you? Are friends of yours coming to Christ? Is your relationship with your girlfriend or boyfriend Christ-centered or is it all about sex? Is your marriage about the kingdom of God or is your marriage about, I just want to be understood? Look, I don't understand me sometimes. So how's my wife going to understand me? But God does. And he loves me a whole lot more than my wife does, okay? And my wife loves me a lot. We, we get along great. We love each other. <laughs> Do you know this, Jesus? Oh, come to Jesus. Maybe the, the Holy Spirit is beckoning you to come this morning, right now. Be born again. Rest in Christ. Be saved. Repent of your sin. Don't, don't, don't be hardened. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray for the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. Father, would you first convict those who are complacent and maybe deceived about their salvation? Lord, that there's no real interest in Christ, only what he'll do for them, not what a life given over. Father, for those that don't know Christ, there are plenty here who don't know Christ. Would you... Would you cause them to see that this is no mere teaching? This is God speaking to the nations. And then, Father, for those whose faith is wounded, who know that they've grieved you or quenched you, Lord, would you show them you still love them? You haven't changed. You're not angry with them anymore. You just want them to get this. So, Father, bless us now as we come to the Lord's table. Change lives. In Jesus' name, amen.